Welcome to The Legal Bender with Molly Jansen. And today, as usual, we have Tom Nellison. And today we're actually going to talk about an article that just came back. Uh, it's a study suggesting that marijuana may affect driving up to 12 hours after use. So this should be a popular podcast. Here so we go. We'll be right back. Thanks. Welcome back to The Legal Bender with Molly Jansen and Tom Nellison. He is of counsel with my firm, and he's been an attorney for, it's got to be almost 30 years now, right? Pretty damn close. I know you like don't want to admit it. Anyway, today um, we're a criminal defense firm and real estate and transaction. Uh, and so, you know, we're always looking for hot topics. Also give basic information about your constitutional rights and you know, whatever's really going on that we think is important for the public to know, and even some of our colleagues that may listen to this, or law enforcement, district attorneys. Uh, but we came across a pretty interesting argument that came out, or excuse me, an article that came out of uh, Massachusetts. A study has been done that says that um, marijuana may affect driving after 12 hours after use, and then they break that study into two different groups. One is of those who start using marijuana prior to the age of 16. And the other um, study is in that, in that same group is of people who start using marijuana after 16. And then in conjunction with people who don't smoke marijuana, smoke marijuana which is how studies are done, right? So I thought it was pretty interesting because obviously Colorado is all up in the marijuana. And we headed it off and... We've talked about driving under the influence of marijuana here on this show, um, distribution and cultivating and trafficking. Um, but we really haven't talked, I think, specifically about, you know, what kind of impacts there are. There are tons and tons of studies um, done throughout the United States and beyond about the impacts of medicinal marijuana and obviously benefits in the uh, medical field, but then just regular marijuana for regular people. And uh, so I thought it was a good topic to bring up. We're probably going to make a lot of people mad. There's probably going to be a lot of people hearing this who are shooting facts at me. Um, but again, I'm not the one who did the study. We're reading about the study, but I do think it opens up conversation about the study because we as defense attorneys certainly see our side of long-term marijuana use with our clients. And I got to tell you, there are definitely some similarities between criminal behavior, ongoing criminal behavior, uh, certainly mental capacity in some cases with people who um, have been using marijuana for, you know, ever, literally like since the 60s. So um, that's, that's where we are. So Tom, you two took a look at it. What do you think? Well, first of all, I want to know how they came up with these groups because who in the world is going to right. come up with an under 16 group what have they been watching these people or is just somebody saying yeah, i've been using since i was 12. well I mean, I think how do they come up with these groups and how do they how, how do they designate what qualifies to fit into that group yeah i don't know i mean i'm guessing i'm assuming that they got a huge you know Calling all marijuana smokers, right? Calling all 12-year-olds. Yeah, right? And um, and just what kind of threw into people's word for it of, hey, when did you smart start smoking pot, right? Like, I know people in their 40s and 50s, and I don't exactly think it's cute, that smoke pot, who started smoking pot in high school and stuff, and who are still smoking pot. And let me tell you, they are not bright people. And they know, I mean, I, they just aren't. 
Um, but I think they probably looked at people who, you know, started back then or the 70s, 60s, you know, kind of cruising along. Um, and But I, I'm not sure that the study is all that accurate for a lot of those people only because you have to track brain development, right. I would think, and um, neuroactivity um, and where the effects are in the brain. So I don't know, I guess taking out that we're not neuroscientists <laughs> – <laughs> we don't do, you know, marijuana studies every day. I think my bigger question is if, in fact, there's a correlation between smoking marijuana, whether you were pre-16 or post-16, the buzzwords to me are impairment 12 hours after smoking. And the article specifically say to chronic smokers. This isn't like somebody who smokes once a week and who got busted on Friday coming home or whatever. This is somebody who's got the drug in their system all the time all the time so they've got a standing level so but okay here's what's interesting so in colorado we don't have a dyd statute meaning driving under the influence of drugs because they haven't figured it out the idiots down there said let's have a let's have a um you know let's let let's let make it an, an amendment to the constitution but then let's not figure out what to do with them when they violate the, the law whatever brilliant um, but I do wonder because they've come up with this presumptive five nanogram range. Yeah, okay. But I can go into other counties like on the western slope and they say it's nine nanograms. Yeah. Because they take into correlation whether based on actual studies or not based on actual studies that they think that chronic smokers are going to have a higher nanogram in the system even though nanograms tested test time, not quality quantity. Right. So that is interesting to me. But 12 hours, I mean, that's important. You don't even have alcohol in your system for 12 hours. No, at least, at least alcohol that affects your system. I mean, even if, I mean, unless you're a boozer, 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 right. like we've got some of those who booze all day, every day. Um, I mean, I think their resting alcohol content's pretty high. I mean, especially when you have somebody like Aurora PD, who is a 0.45, that guy's got to be walking around with 0.2, like feeling like he got up and is hungover. And he's got to smell like alcohol <laughs> just going to work. God, that's like, what bad. in the world? But I'm just wondering, right? So that we, you know, we get lots of clients who get DUIs the next day after drinking. You know, right. they're like a point, I don't know, 06 at nine in the morning. I'm like, well, you clearly drank a lot. A lot of And alcohol. you probably went to bed like four hours ago. But if you're, if in this study, the way the analysis is, is that if you're a chronic smoker, meaning, and they said five to seven days a week, and that's not once a day. Most chronic smokers are smoking chronically, right? All day. No, di chronic smokers who smoke pot all day long are no different than alcoholics. And I don't care what you people scream at me. It's a drug. And I got lots of clients who tell me they're addicted to it. So there's that. Um, but doesn't that change the analysis of the pres of the presumptive range such that you would think that there would be a motivation for legis our legislature in particular to say, look, we've got to address what is an actual number taking into consideration chronic smoking? Because all I know is under my understanding from the experts in the state is that that's not really supposed to affect nanograms at time of driving. Right. Well, and you have, you have that issue that always comes up of if I – someone who does not smoke pot better than I fired <laughs> <laughs> and and the next person who smokes every day what's if I have a hit 
I'm going to be affected substantially different than somebody who smokes every day who has a hit. So the number is not going to mean much of anything. What's going to mean something is the impaired to the slightest degree aspect of the statute for DUI or, or the substantially incapable of operating motor vehicle aspect. I don't think the number is really going to be an issue. Right. Well, I don't I know how it can with, with people in these varying stages of, you know, this is a chronic user, this is not a chronic user. Well, it's no different than you're an alcoholic and you're not an alcoholic. Well, that's true. I mean, that's the thing that makes me so frustrated about this is that go ahead and legalize the drug, but it doesn't mean that the analysis is somehow now like it's forgiven that people don't smoke pot all day and at no point are they ever able to drive a car. Just like, I mean, I guess before I get hate comments, I guess, you know, obviously there's a tolerance argument. People who are alcoholics start drinking one thing and then they end up having to drink the whole bar, right? Same with people who are on pain management. You start taking it and then you need more and more of it to maintain. Well, the same is with pot, but it doesn't mean, I mean, here's the thing that I've got is that I don't ha I haven't seen a study or heard an expert testify that somebody who smokes chronically, who's smoking large amounts of marijuana, is ever not impaired, whereas I have seen hundreds of studies and heard from experts, both prosecution and defense-wise, in all of my years of practice, who talk about therapeutic levels of prescription drugs, where they are not affected in the same way that marijuana affects them. And I've never heard, and I'm sure there's some kook-ass, weird study somewhere in some country that says, oh no, if you're a chronic smoker, then it, you're not impaired ever. And I've never had, a, uh, in our case, have a, a doctor come and write that letter and say, well, they've been smoking marijuana for 20 years, most of that illegally and against federal law and state law. Right. So they're just a criminal. And now they've got a license to do it. And so, but now you know what? Because they smoke 47 blunts a day, they're okay to drive. Have you ever heard an expert state that opinion or have a... have a defense attorney sell us that in some statement like, hey, did you hear about the new study? I've not heard that. I haven't either. I haven't heard it about alcohol either. Nope. But I have heard it and I've seen it hundreds of times with experts about therapeutic levels of things like the diazepam family. Right. And even some, you know, oxycodone, oxycotton, people who have been on that for a gazillion years. Um, you know, so is it so what's the difference? I guess my question is why isn't there that expert opinion? And is it because it's a different substance that the FDA hasn't approved? I'm just trying to figure it out. Uh, it, it's almost impossible to figure out at this point, trying to trying to battle everything that the government is doing with regard to marijuana, whether they're legalizing it and then putting restrictions on it and coming up with the whys of why is it okay to do this why is it okay to drive when you've done this why is it not okay if you've if you've had a hit of a hit of uh, marijuana you can take your your anxiety medication yeah we got they're people not, they're on not some enough xanax and knock me out for 14 days exactly and that that doesn't seem to be an issue when it comes to driving you have people who yeah the doctors say it's okay based on tolerance and length of time right so why is it not the same with marijuana? Where's that study? Well, but so I liken it to alcohol because I don't care if you are someone who drinks every single day. Nice job. 
Great. That's great. And you're driving around. And so because you're an alcoholic and because you daily drink like huge amounts of alcohol and you're driving around with an alcohol content over the legal limit, that somehow it's okay for you to drive because you have a tolerance. That is no difference, no different for me than it is for marijuana. And until, tell, until the legislature tells me otherwise, I'm not buying it. No, you can't. It's difficult. It's difficult to even look up those studies. And even if somebody's doing that, is coming up with some, some sort of program or, or group study. What, on the Get that. High program so you can drive program? Right. I mean, drive safe? Yeah. And how, <laughs> how much, I mean, everybody's an, everybody individually is built differently and is going to be able to do more drugs, less drugs, whatever, when it comes to marijuana. Um, how are they ever going to figure that out? I mean, alcohol. It, it goes into the system a certain way, comes out of the system a certain way. Um, I know with marijuana, that can, uh, THC can be stored in fat cells, for example. Which so is why it stays in the blood for long after exactly. you quit using. Exactly. So it's leaking out. Yeah. Yeah. Some stress stressor comes up and, and, and the person starts sweating and mm-hmm. losing fat. And then here comes a THC. And it, it, is that going to cause an issue? Probably. Well, it used to be that way, you know, before all of this, when, you know, people would have, if the cop thought you were under the influence of marijuana, you could either take a breath or a urine test and you were presumptive positive for marijuana. But then we won all those cases because you're, because marijuana stays in the system for so long right. that they couldn't put a number to it. So finally they isolated the metabolite and they isolated you know, um, OOH and, and all of that so that we can take a better look at it, but really identifying time and connection. Um, but, you know, it's to me, it gets really frustrating and concerning because now if there are studies saying that if you're a chronic user that you can be impaired all the time, I don't think it's justified for someone to say, well, since I have, I'm smoking medicinal marijuana, um, and that guy's taking a prescribed FDA-approved um, medication, let's say in the benzo field, and my doctor says I can drive. I don't know any doctors telling people who come in to get medicinal marijuana licenses that they can drive. I, I've never I heard haven't, one I haven't expert heard testify in a court of law for any defense attorney anywhere that says, I believe that if my client who's been a customer since the day one that we doctors started giving out these licenses, that therefore they should be able to drive because really they're not impaired. I have not heard any expert come in and say that. Well, don't you, aren't you curious as to why not then? Yeah. Right? Because because all of our marijuana users then get all up in our grills and say, well, what would you rather have me do? Be on pain management and and you'd rather have me be on hydrocodone and benzos and i'm like those are legal so you may not like it but colorado says marijuana is legal but the minute you leave my state you just committed a federal offense that's right so you can back your truck up i mean that's just the reality you can take your xanax across state lines with your prescription true you know um and so until those kinds of factors change i'm sick of hearing it i should be able to do it because that guy over there has is taking xanax well, until until there's a change in law and until the FDA says so, well, that would have to be a federally approved drug. <laughs> Not federally approved. Last time I looked. And didn't the feds just put the brakes on marijuana 
issues just a week or so ago. Yes. Yeah, so. So, gee, I they're guess not, y'all. They're not worrying about it yet. They're not even touching it. No. You know, and then they've got all of these uh, roadsides out there for DUIs. And let me tell you, 90% of the DUIDs that come into my office are done by officers who have never even taken advanced roadside classes called A-Ride. They've only done DUI investigation, which is three roadsides that have nothing to do with tremors, the interior of the mouth, the, um, the pulse, really vertical nystagmus or any of the things that are required to determine. And then what? We're just like randomly shoving cops out there being like, well, you're a drug recognition expert, so now you can identify all drugs. Well, that's funny. Which drugs? Right? Right. So is it meth? Is it blow? Is it heroin? Is it marijuana? Is it, I mean, and here's, here's the thing, like we've got a client right now who has been on the same drugs, no increase in prescription for 10 years. So the pres- her, all of her prescriptions, benzos and the like, have been exactly the same. There's no, not been an increase due to tolerance in 10 years. And they say that she was stoned. And although when the blood came back, it's all within therapeutic levels, according to the state expert. Well, that's different because I don't have a therapeutic level from anywhere that says what is a therapeutic level for somebody with a medicinal marijuana license. And until that happens, y'all better watch out because that's, you know, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's all the more reason for me to have a defense. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And, and it, it, again, it would be very interesting to see where that would come out. Where are those levels? What is therapeutic for marijuana? What is a, ther- a proper therapeutic level? And how is that going to be determined, again, with people of different sizes, different weights, different everything else? Well, right, right? Because the therapeutic level, we don't even have that. We have therapeutic levels since the day Xanax came onto the market, right? They, they were already all over that because people, I'm sure, were, you can't drive. I mean, I was prescribed Xanax for one of my surgeries, so I freak out walking in there. I can haul a function. I was like, hey. I was like, I'm I, re- so I remember that. Yeah, I was, it was not good. People got text messages from me that are not okay. Um, but at the same time, we don't have uh, our num- our five nanograms. It's coming down is not a therapeutic level number. It no. is a level of impairment level. That is an entirely different analysis of impairment versus actual tolerance and or therapeutic level because like even when we go in on benzo cases out of van cases well that's a benzo family but like um ambient and all that stuff like that's what we hit is okay well we know that they're exceeding their prescription because the expert says well the prescription that we have for this is this but this person has this much nanogram and metabolite in their system which far exceeds what that particular drug would deliver right or it's in therapeutic levels, and the juries, when they hear therapeutic levels, are like, "Bye bye." But on marijuana, we don't have it, and we'll never. And, and that's ridiculous. And in, in alcohol, you just. I mean, that's why we're getting rid of eventually the the DWI statute. It's essentially a DUI in Colorado when you're a .05 anyway. What's the damn difference? Right. There isn't one. No. We have a DUI over a .2 DUI. Then we have DWAI. Then we have DWAI over a .2. So really, when you hit .05 in the state of Colorado, folks, you're a DUI. They call it impaired, but really it just means you can't, you just can't drink. Right. Because there's almost no distinction between DUI and DWAI, and there's certainly no distinction on a second or a third, and you, that's laughable on a felony. I mean, <laughs> what distinction? You might as well have just gotten the DUI. And how do they, 
how do they put together these multiple offenses when maybe somebody has three prior DUI alcohol related and now they get a DUI drug related because they've had medications in their system that are within the therapeutic levels. But it's still considered alcohol. Right. And now we give the DUI D driver upon conviction an interlock in their car. Yeah. Way to go. <laughs> Woohoo, DMV. I mean, if you refuse a chemical test on a driving under the influence of drugs, no alcohol, you're getting an interlock. Which does you no good and does anybody I'm else I'm sorry, no good. how does that test to see if the guy is stoned every time he gets in the car? Right. I would like to know that. I would really like to know, just like with alcohol, if you're going to drink, you can at least have a test that you can take. And if you're going to smoke pot, where's the test? I mean, people, our technology is insane. And you can't figure that one out? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, who's the big dollar guy behind that not getting it done? <laughs> R&D, I mean, I should win. I should patent it. I patent it. There you go. Call up Smart Start and get in bed with them and be like, come on, guys. There you go. But that's on the wrong team, so I'm not doing that. But then I could retire. <laughs> you know, do something. But at any rate, so not a lot of answers from Tom and I today, but it is a topic I think it's worth talking about out in the communities. Um, you know, start the, start the discussion and maybe one day, you never know, something that comes out of this show can make its way to your office of your legislature or your senator, right? And we can start making some movement so that people who are smoking marijuana lawfully know what exactly they can do, like those who drink. Um, and they have a better idea of how to be a law-abiding citizen because a lot of smokers want to, to make sure they don't pick up a DUI, right? So why not give them a little hand? Just like those portable breath tests you can buy at Walgreens for 50 bones. So at any rate, um, I thought it was worth a good discussion. Um, we'll be back next week and, uh, and hit some other interesting topics. Again, you can reach me at 303-832-5400. You can reach my website at molly at mollyjansen.com. All of my podcasts are there. You can contact me for a free consultation. My email is molly at mollyjansen.com. You can go to Facebook at Molly Jansen Law Group. Lots of really good information there. And if you'd like to see what I see on a daily basis in court, go ahead and follow that up. So you never know what you're going to get. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn. So there's a lot of different ways to find me. Um, but we always love to hear from you. And never, ever, ever attempt to go to court without a lawyer. And do not ever, ever attempt to decide what your defense is going to be by self-diagnosing on Google. Um, call me, have a free consultation, get your ducks in a row and go from there before you make a stupid choice. So don't burn or drink and drive and uh, we'll catch you next week. Bye.